Well, good morning, everyone. So glad you're here. Can you open your Bibles to Daniel chapter 6? started teaching last week about recovering the discipline of fasting, building that into our week, finding ways to get more disciplined in that area. This week we're going to talk about the discipline of prayer. Uh, for my life, there's never been a time when I haven't got a discipline and then lost it. And... Uh, I have to get it again, and then I lose it. I get it again, and I lose it. And that's, that's been the story of my entire Christian life. And uh, perhaps that's your story as well. So we need to be reminded about the discipline of prayer, something that we should build into our lives every, every day, uh, every week, not just when we're in church, not just when we're in our prayer groups, but uh, something that you're doing when no one's looking, that you're doing for your father's eyes. And Daniel's a, an amazing example of uh, someone who is committed to a discipline of prayer. And you can read this in chapter 6, Daniel chapter 6. There's a decree that says, uh, you have to read the background story, and you'll, you'll do that in your small groups but a decree that was signed that said that no one could make a petition to anyone but the king for a set period of time. But Daniel overrode that. He ignored what the government was saying. And uh, he knew that the petition had been signed. And so he went to the upper room with his in windows open. Uh, sometimes you have to do that when, it, when you're afraid of doing something that might upset other people. You have to go the other way. And he actually opened the windows rather than doing a hiding. Uh, he did it right out in the open, opened it toward Jerusalem. He knelt down on his knees three times a day, and he prayed and gave thanks before the Lord, as was his custom since early days. So as a teenager, probably your age, when he went down into uh, Babylon the first time. From the time that he was a teenager, a young, young person, he fell, he fell into a discipline of three times a day, stopping what he was doing and giving thanks to God, getting on his knees. Being, getting on your knees is important sometimes for us. It doesn't move God, but it certainly moves me. It, it shows intentionality. And, and he would get on his knees and he would offer thanksgiving to the Lord and make petitions to his God three times a day. Our, our routine or ritual of saying grace before meals comes out of this verse. That's where it comes from. That every time you'd have a meal, three times a day, you would stop and you'd give thanks to God. It's based on this verse. But it's possible that a discipline, as beautiful as this, a teenage discipline that carried, carried him through to greatness, it's possible that that can become just a little, little legalistic routine, a little, uh, thank God for the food, pass the beans, you know? Uh, and you, people say, well, can you say grace? And so they say grace, the word grace. Uh, but it can get into something that has no meaning, it just becomes a religious thing to do. Grace is a perfect example of that. But I'll tell you, <clears throat> if you want to rediscover the grace of thanksgiving, 
really bow your hearts at the meal, at the table, and really stop and give thanks to the Lord and mean it and, and, and offer up before him your gratitude, that would be a powerful discipline. Otherwise, saying grace is almost meaningless. It's just another religious thing to do, tacked on to our religious lives. Here's the, different, here's the, the issue for me. I don't want to be religious, I don't want to be legalistic where I just do things by rote. I want to do it and it has life in it. But the way that I have to do that is through discipline. So there's discipline on this side, legalism on that side. Somehow I got to keep, out of the, I got to keep balance on that whole thing. And that's what happens. There are people who say, well, I don't pray every day. And, uh, I, you know, I pray when I'm driving or I'll pray, I'll go for a walk in the woods or whatever, and that's commendable. But they've said, well, I don't want to be religious. And so I don't, in a sense, what they're saying is I don't have any discipline. And there are lots of Christians who don't pray. Lots of Christians who never raise their voice in worship at home. The only time they sing is in church. Lots of Christians but Daniel tapped into something. He found something that was life-giving from his youth to whatever age he was when he wrote this. And he said, this is, this is what I do. This is who I am. But it had to have life in it because he doesn't seem to be a very religious person. So the tension for you and for me, for Penn Clark, this is my big tension, how do I, how do I find a rhythm of discipline in fasting, in prayer, in giving, in resting, and, and, and having a sabbatical. How do I do that without going off the other end and, and become religious or legalistic? That's the big tension. That's what you need to sort out. Daniel tapped into something. Jesus, on the other hand, Jesus prayed a lot. I mean, when you read the four Gospels, uh, they're looking for him. They can't find him, and they, they go searching for him. They find him. Uh, kneeling someplace in prayer, having time with his father. And they, he's often praying. Uh, sometimes he'd let the disciples walk ahead and he'd go behind and he'd pray. Or I think when he was walking on water, I, think, I, think, I don't think he came to the shore of the lake and said, I wonder if I can do this. I don't think that's what happened. I think he was so, so locked into fellowship, communion with the father, that he just kept walking and found himself out in the middle of the lake. There's also a place where he can get away from people. No one followed him there. What was he doing on the lake? He was praying. He was locked into something. Jesus loved praying and had a discipline, a commitment, so that uh, after praying for the sick and casting out demons all night, they go looking for him early in the morning. They can't find him. Somewhere before, before daylight, he slipped away just to get along with the Father. Well, that comes out of desire. In fact, you can make a note. You can tweet this. All discipline, all discipline has to come out of desire. Has to come out of desire. For it to mean anything to God or have any value to you, every discipline has to come out of desire. So what Jesus did, uh, he would pray, and, and, and it was so obvious that he loved it. And it was so obvious. I mean, he'd come out with a shiny face, and, and they'd have to kind of uh, find him, you know. He, he's really spending time with the Lord. And, and they looked at him and they said, 
uh, would you teach us to pray? They saw someone who wasn't doing it in a legalistic way. They saw someone who wasn't just praying out of religious, they, they, out of a religious experience. They saw that Jesus was praying in such a way it was contagious. It was desirous. They said, Rabbi, we've never seen another rabbi like you. Every rabbi we've ever seen to pray, it, it sounds awful. It sounds heavy. It sounds like you're under the heavy burden. And you do it with long teeth. And you do it with a long face. You come out smiling. We see you in prayer. And we see you, you, your face lights up. And you smile. And you're raising your hands. And sometimes you're crying. And sometimes you're blessed. And, and, you, and we can hardly pull you out of it. You just really love doing it. Would you teach us to pray? That's a powerful question. I remember when I was a few years old in the Lord. I wasn't a baby Christian, but I was a young disciple. I remember reading this. That's Luke chapter 11, if you'd like to turn there. Luke chapter 11. In fact, let's all turn there. It's in verse 1. He was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of the disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. You have something. You have something we want. <laughs> I bet they never asked that of another old rabbi. Because there are some people, when, they, when you hear them pray, you think, boy, that's just such a, a long, tedious, boring exercise. With Jesus, it was contagious. With Jesus, they thought, man, I wish I could pray like him. I had a pastor when I was a young Christian who would pray publicly and uh, uh, for our meetings, he always prayed in every meeting. I love listening to him pray. He, we, listening to him pray taught me to pray. I just loved to listen. He would weave scripture in there. And he talked, to, he talked to God as if he was his father. And he talked to him as if he was actually listening. Listen to people pray. There's no way if God was standing right there that they would act and talk the way they talk if he was really in the room. It's just, it doesn't match. No one would talk to someone the way some people pray. It's not real. Jesus prayed. His disciples said, teach me to pray. I read that and I said, Lord, would you teach me to pray? And he did. He began stoking my desire. He began giving me concepts. And, and I went on the strength of that for a long time. And then I lost it. which I'm grateful for in a sense because it can actually go so far, so long, that it becomes a ritual or routine or something by rote. Losing it brings me back to the branch. It brings me back to the, to the vine. It brings me back to him. Say, Lord, you taught me before. Would you teach me again? This may sound funny to you, and I hope it doesn't create any disrespect. I prayed that this week. I'm not talking about years ago. I prayed that this week. Lord, would you teach me to pray? I've lost it again. I've lost the discipline. I've lost the want to. I've lost that. I, I have had it. I know what it is to love praying. I know what it is to get up in the middle of the night. I know what it is to find these lonely spots. I know what it is to tuck myself away. I've lost it. Would you reestablish that in my life? He loves it when we pray that way. Let me just say this. I'll just throw this out. If you hate praying, Jesus hasn't taught you to pray. 
If you can't hardly pray, you can't hardly find the time, you have more discipline on, with, with social media, more discipline with other things, but you can't find the discipline to pray, the issue is Jesus hasn't taught you. Jesus isn't the one that's behind it. He will teach you again and again and again. And when he teaches you, when he says stuff to you and he, he stokes your desire, which he does with these guys right away, he doesn't even hesitate in answering their prayer. He says, yeah, I'll teach you to pray. He goes right to work. Gives them almost a whole chapter on how to pray. He wants people to know how to pray. But it has to be life-giving. It has to be genuine. It has to be, has to be real. Not by rote. Verse 2, when you pray, say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everybody who is indebted to us. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So that's one thing he did. Now, you have to know Jesus to know he never intended that to be recited as a dead religious prayer. There's no way. There's no way. That conclusion, and I travel, I'm in all, I'm in all kinds of places uh, where I hear people pray this prayer in public and in private, and it's a, it's, it's a, it's a liturgy. It's just, something, it's just something to pray. It's a nice religious thing to pray, but it has no life in it. You could do it, you could do it by memory and never mean it. That's not what Jesus is doing. What he's saying that's so powerful, uh, in a day when nobody called God Father, he said, try it. Try, try calling him Father. And that's actually Abba. It's intimate. First of all, the first thing you need to do is is, is Start reaching out to him on a level of intimacy, and he'll come down that. He's so attracted to that. He will come down that. As soon as you say, Father, Father, he comes. Well, you can't say Father like that and mean it without God coming into your prayer closet and touching your heart. Then you won't be able to stop praying. One guy, he said, he said, I, I, I never knew what this meant. I never knew, I, you know, we talk about Father and Abba with intimacy, and Jesus called him Abba. It's uh, Aramaic. He said, but I was on a beach in Israel one time, and there's a family on the beach, and one of the little kids was running around and laughing and calling to his dad to come play with him. And he said, Abba, Abba, Abba. And he said, I heard, I heard it for the first time. I heard it for the first time in my life. What it sounds like to say, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. And Jesus starts with that. There's life in it for you. Sometimes my whole prayer, I'll get in this place. I'll, I'll have it alone to myself. Sometimes my whole prayer is just saying, Father, Father, Father. And it takes me places that I could never get otherwise. And hallowed be your name. It's worship. He goes right into worship. I magnify your name. Rodney was tapping into that this morning. It's the name. His name is not his title. It's not, it's not like your name, like Fred and Bernie and Sam. It's not that. His name is his person. It's who he is. And so he, start, he says, what you do next is you just go off into worship. Now, I'll tell you something. 
I know you've thought of this before, but it's, it seems to me like a fresh thought. What we sing on the screen here are prayers. What you've just done for the last 30 minutes is you've been praying. That's why you feel so good when you're done the worship time. It's praying set to music, but it's possible to sing it off the screen, never mean it, and never get any nutritional value out of it. Or you can, you can sing it with your mouth and say it with your heart, and, and within seconds, you're feeling the glory of the Lord all over you. You can't do that and not be able to go further and, and have a desire to pray. We just need to see what we're putting on the walls here are prayers. They're powerful prayers. If we'll mix it with faith, if we don't mix it with faith, it won't profit us anything. But prayer and worship is the same word. It's the same concept. So when I'm singing it or when I'm saying it to the Father, it, do, it doesn't matter. Uh, a discipline that, I, that I, I, I love and I lose, I love it and I lose it. <laughs> I'm not a singer. Uh, Heather and I threaten each other sometimes to say, I'll sing if you don't straighten up. You know, so we're, we're not singers. Right? We're not known for our, our singing voices. But my father loves it. I know he loves it. I know he loves it. And the thing that he loves that I've come to love is I just make up songs. If someone bugged the room and recorded it, it'd be deeply embarrassing. They don't rhyme. Uh, they're dead-end sentences. Sometimes they don't go anywhere. The tunes are all made up, and they're rickety, and they're just, they're just all over. But he loves it. The reason I know he loves it is because he comes. And I feel his presence. I feel his nearness. I, I feel his approval on it. I challenge you, this week, begin singing to the Lord alone. In, raise your voice. Turn off the CDs and raise your voice and say, Lord, I, in fact, there's an old Mennonite hymn that I love the concept of it. It says, I owe the Lord a morning song. It's a powerful idea that I'm, I'm not going to check my phone in the morning. I owe the Lord. I haven't thanked him enough. I haven't thanked him enough. And I owe him a song. And we raise that to him. Your kingdom come. We, we taught a whole sermon on what that means just a, a few weeks ago. If you want to listen to it, go to our, our website. You can get the down, download the uh, iPod. I, that's not right. I something. <laughs> iTunes. You can get the tune. <laughs> I don't know what I'm saying. Uh, your kingdom come. You're inviting him to come and take charge. You're inviting him as a mighty king to come. Uh, your will be done. You're, there's a surrender. And the word will here is the word thalma. And if you look up the word pleasure and you look up the word will, it's the same word. And so he's saying, I, I live to please you, not myself. Well, you can't pray that if you mean it. You can't pray along that line and live a selfish, empty, empty life. It's not possible. It's not possible. It'll lead you to deeper surrender. And it keeps going. Uh, you have a will that's in heaven. Your life is actually pre-written before you were, before anything was, before there was a world. Your father in heaven sat down with a pen and a book and actually wrote your life before you were and it's in heaven if, there, if you died and ask him to see it there's an actual book a literal book that he wrote all about you 
And you can have it or you can have your own way. You can do your own thing. But how many times have you found yourself praying and say, Father, I did my own thing and I hate it. (laughs) I, I I don't like my life. I don't like that where it's going. I don't like the fruit of it. That's because he'll let you have your own will. He'll let you do your own thing. You can, do, you can go to hell if you want to, and he will let you because you want to. But what Jesus tapped into here, he says, you know, there's a will in heaven, and, the, and that will is written in a book, and you can actually have it in this life, in business, in your family, in your home, in your finances, in your marriage. There's a will but you have to want it. You have to invite it. It won't just happen. Listen, listen to me really carefully on this. There are Christians who never see the will of God because they suppose that everything that happens to them is God's will when it's not. The only way you can get the will of God that's in heaven into your life here on earth is you have to pray it in. You have to want it. You have to insist upon it. You say, Lord, I I want you to be active in my life. I want you to be working. Not everything that happens to you is the will of God. There are people who I look at their life and it's just a wreck. They say, well, God led me here, then he led me there, and I feel led, so I did this, I did that. It looks like their life was written by a drunken sailor. They're just all over the map. God's an architect. I'll tell you one thing that's powerful is when you can actually look back on your life and line upon line, it makes sense and things are connected and it's like an architect wrote it. One thing leads to another. Then you know that you've been bringing in the will of God that's in heaven into your life. That takes prayer. And what Jesus is doing is he's inciting a desire for these 12 men to pray. He says, go after the will of God. Decide, decide. You can decide and say, for January, what I'm going to do is I'm going to believe God that his will that's in heaven is going to come to bear in my everyday life, my family, my home, my my business, my life. I'm I'm not just coasting. I'm not just running, taking a chance on life. I'm asking whatever he destined for me would come to bear. The only way that can happen is I must pray it in. Can you see what he's doing? He's inciting their desire to pray. He's inciting a desire that leads to discipline. Somebody has to insist on it. No one's going to pray for your life like you. Has to come from you. Pray for your kids. Pray God's will over over your kid's life, over your friends, your loved ones. Pray God's will over their life. Uh, We'll show an example of that tonight if you're interested in learning more about this. You can come back. That the will of God doesn't just happen. It has to be insisted upon. And that's what he's preaching. When they ask him, teach us to pray. He says, you have to go deep. If, If all you did your whole prayer time was worshiping God and trusting him for his purpose for your life, it would change your prayer life. It would, change your, it would change your spiritual life. It would change everything about your life. It's that meaningful. It's that powerful. And it's Jesus teaching. It. Not some, it's not Penn teaching this. This is Jesus teaching this. And he gets into praying basic needs. Give us this day our daily bread. Pray for your needs. Forgive us our sins. That's, that's a normal part of our relationship with God is cl- 
cleansing, not once in a while, but daily. Uh, I think the way to end your day is to review it and say, Lord, I said that and I shouldn't have said it. I exaggerated on that point. Please forgive it. I, I thought this and it's wrong. I said this. I treated them this way. Review your life almost like you're, you're going to court-martial yourself at the end of the day. And you, you bring yourself before the Lord and say, Lord, I need, I, I, wash me, cleanse me cleanse me. You can just see that it's a different grade of Christianity when you make much of the blood of Jesus and make much of his forgiveness. It's not a failure on your part that you need forgiveness. It's normal. Jesus is teaching this as just normal. Keep a really short list. That way you won't just casually go off in the sin. You, you just won't fall into it because You've been banking so much on the cleansing power, the forgiveness of God. And then he says, do this. He says, make sure you just keep a real short list on everyone who's ever offended you. Just forgive them. If it's part of your day, just stop and say, that person rejected me. They didn't even know it. I forgive them. I've done this. I've done this just recently. People who slighted me and I just said, Father, I don't want, I don't want. It comes to my mind. It waffles in. And I thought, oh, all right. I release them, Lord, no charges. I ask that there be no charges for them. It's a powerful way to live. You can't pray this way and get into a dead-end religious kind of prayer life. This will be life for you. Forgive everything that moves. <laughs> it pleases the Father and makes the enemy go mad. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Powerful, powerful thing. Then he goes into verses 5 to 8. He goes into this whole story of, of a friend asking a friend for bread at night because he has company coming. And the friend says, no, the kids are in bed with me. The door is all locked. When he says the door is all locked, ours is just this little lock like this. If you go to India and other places like that, there's chains and bars and rebar. I mean, it takes five minutes to unlock the door. It's a big thing to unlock the door. So he says, oh, the door is locked. Kids are in bed. And the guy won't stop. He says, all right. And he gets up and he gives him the bread. He says, not because he's his friend, but because the guy's insistent. His importunity, he's in need. He won't stop. He keeps going. It's a powerful way to pray. I call it sowing in prayer. So that anything that comes to my mind, a worry, a particular thing, I just keep bringing that before the Lord. That's how we got this building. That's how we're getting that building. Every time it comes on my heart and I carry it, I just stop and say, that just reminds me. I need to pray and say, Lord, I put that in your big hands. I look to you for that. And it's part of my prayer life is just to continually bring it before the Lord on your behalf. Somebody has to pray it through. Somebody has to pray it through. There's ways to remind yourself to pray. For example, I, I was in a home recently, and I noticed on their kitchen sink, they had all their kids' and grandkids' pictures at their kitchen sink. When they get up to do dishes, they just start praying for their family. It's just a, it's just a prayer target. It's just to remind them that when I'm here, I'm at the sink, I pray for my family. One by one, I pray for all my kids. I pray for my grandkids. We just need that kind of discipline built into our life. If you're a guy in the room and you're saying, well, where do I put... My pictures, we'll leave them at the kitchen sink. <laughs> Maybe that'll be an answer to prayer. Every time someone comes to my mind, people, people write me every day from all over the place, ask me to pray. 
And out of the integrity of my heart, I can't do that if I, unless I, I won't say yes unless I really will pray. And the way I say it is I say, when God brings you to my mind, I promise I'll pray for you. And so when they come to my mind, I know it's the Lord, every remembrance, and I stop, give thanks to them, and then now that thanks greases the wheels to pray. Next thing you know, I'm praying like a, like a house on fire, but it really came out of that little bit of thanksgiving. It came because I believe that if they came to my mind, that's, I'm going to take that as from the Lord. Paul wrote to the Philippians, and he said, that's how I pray for you, Philippians. I thank God for every remembrance of you. We call these prayer targets. And here's, here's a way to become disciplined to get a lot more praying accomplished in your life. I'll take a prayer target. You know what a target is, eh? The red and white circles. And so I have, I have a number of these posted in different places at different times. And so, uh, so I'll, there's a marriage that I'm, 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 I'm carrying, I'm, I'm concerned about. So I'll put a prayer target on that. And I'll tell the Lord, I'll say, anytime I'm struggling over here with a particular thing or a thought or a concern, I'm going to pray for that target. I'm going to pray for that family. If I'm tempted in a certain area, I'm going to pray for this guy over here. He's struggling in, that area, in the same area, so anytime I'm tempted, I'm praying for him. So I put a prayer target on him. Someone, someone's just always treating me badly, and so I'll put a prayer target on them, and I'll say, now, every time that wound, that hurt, the words that they said come waffling up in the middle of the night, that I'm going to take that as a reminder to go to work and pray blessings on them. And I've done this, I've done this for years. I'm going to call down heaven on them. I'm going to call down blessings on them. Many of these people have turned and have become dear friends of mine. But it really happened through prayer targets. So I put prayer targets, rather than worrying, rather than being tormented with certain thoughts, David did this. He said, what time I'm afraid, I'm going to trust in you. That's putting a prayer target. He said, every time I feel afraid, I'm going to go and I'm going to say, Lord, I trust you. You're so big. You're so mighty. Your hand, you held all the waters of the world in the hell of your hand. Next thing you know, you can't be afraid while you're praying and looking to the Lord and saying how big he is. You can't. It's impossible. It's a way of putting a prayer target on something. If you're struggling with pornography, and, and a lot of people do these days, you say, every time I'm tempted along that line, I'm going to pray for this person. I'm going to pray for this. I'm going to put prayer targets up. I'm going to choose a celebrity and say, every time, every time I'm tempted in this, I'm going to pray for this celebrity. You can't, all of a sudden, after a while, things, things really heat up. You're praying a lot more than ever before. You're seeing results than you never saw before, which incite a desire to pray. Also, after, the, after a while, the devil will leave you alone in certain areas because every time he tempts you, you go off like a prayer warrior. I mean, you, you just go off. Put a prayer target. Try prayer targets. You're worried about a particular loved one, a family member that's struggling. And say, okay, all right, every time I think about them, I'm going to pray. Every time I think about them, I'm going to call down heaven on their heads. I'm going to pour out blessings on them. And watch and see what God does. It's a powerful way to restart your prayer life in a disciplined way that doesn't lead to legalism and doesn't lead to religion. 
You have to decide. God's not going to come and tell you what to do. You have to decide. Importunity is powerful. Then he goes in the verses 9 down to 13. And he's talking about, uh, it, I mean, if this doesn't incite your desire, he says, I'll tell you what, you pray, you pray and you stay with it, it shall be given to you. Tonight we're going to talk more about how to, how to know whether to launch down a certain road in prayer, the stuff you have to know in your heart. But he says, if you pray, it shall, be, it shall be given to you. If you're seeking, you will find that's a verse for these next three weeks as we're fasting and we're wanting God's will and we want to come to a different level of Christianity and spirituality. We're wanting to come more into our purpose. He says, if that's what you want and you seek, it'll happen. It'll happen. He won't play hide and seek with you. It will happen. It may not happen right away and it may not happen the way you think it will happen. But he says, seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. I remember one time, uh, if, you, if you know me at all, you know I've got 20 irons in the fire at any given time. I, I got lots of different stuff that I'm doing and lots of th different things that I'm exploring. And, and uh, I, I'm out there months and months on my calendar working on stuff that's coming down the pike already. And there's stuff that I'm not sure that it's the Lord. I'm not sure that it's really his purpose or what he has for me. But he... he he allows me to test it to see whether it is his Lord, his will. It's called knocking. How are you going to know what's behind it until you knock? You have to be able to test it. And for those who are in business, uh, it's okay to try different things and try, try something. Just don't say it's the Lord on the front end. Just say, I'm just knocking. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Have some humility that says, I'm not really sure about this. I'm just testing to see what's behind it, see what will open one time the Lord spoke to me, and I can't tell you the relief this brought to my heart. He's Penn, I don't mind you trying different things. You don't? You know, I was kind of in a crouch thinking, what if I get it wrong? What if I get it wrong? He said, I don't mind you, I don't mind you trying different things. Just have the humility when you find out that it's not me to back out of it. Just simply to say so. But he wants you to test things in a tentative, respectful way it's called knocking he said knock and the door will be open to you he'll show you he'll show you whether it's his will he'll show you what he has for you but what listen now everything that he's just said in answer to their question their question was lord would, would you teach us to pray in answer to that question he incited a discipline to pray that didn't lead them into legalism or routine, or ritual, or religion. He stoked a desire. You, you have to believe that after he taught this, <laughs> he's having to round them up. He's having to look for them. He's, he's having to get them corralled again. This same section of scripture, I think, is it, the context for it is, is in um, Matthew chapter 6. If you go there, Matthew chapter 6, he's talking about not being religious, not doing things to get applause from people, whether it's your giving, whether it's fasting, or whether it's prayer. And it looks like it's the same context because he gets into what's called the Lord's Prayer, and he teaches them how to do that. He says, now just verse 6, he's, when you pray, just 
There's a way to shut yourself away with your father, and, and you, it's called your secret place. And your father who sees you in secret will reward you openly. There are rewards for this, a prayerful life. Then he says, now verse 7, don't use vain repetition. Don't say the same thing over and over again. In Tibet, what they'll do is they'll write out a prayer, put it in this little prayer wheel with a handle on it, and they'll roll it around, believing that that little prayer, that little written, written prayer, will go around so many times that it, the longer it goes around, the, the, the eventuality is that it'll be answered. They'll write it on a flag, and they'll let the wind move it in the, in the wind. But there are Christians who do the same kind of thing. It's religion. It's, it's an empty routine of doing the same thing repeatedly, believing that if I do it often enough, I'll win the lottery. If I do it often enough, something will happen. And, and, and as Pentecostals, we do it. I call it shotgun prayers. That's where you say everything, you bind, you loose, you cast it out, you, you break the curse, you, 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 you pray all different kinds of ways, hoping something hits. We do it. And it becomes just as so much of a routine as a Tibetan prayer wheel. Jesus said, don't do that. The Father is not into that. He wants relationship. He's after your heart, not the abundance of your words. It's not how long you pray. It's how, how real it is when you pray. In fact, if you, you have lost your discipline, I'd say just set out to pray 10, 10 minutes. I almost said 10 hours, didn't I? <laughs> T 10 minutes, just 10 minutes. You can pray for 10 minutes. You, you can pray at every stoplight you hit. Rather than resent to them, just say, oh, it's my time to pray. I'm going to offer some thanksgiving to God. I'm going to pray for that family that I'm carrying in my heart. Stoplight praying, that's valid, that's real. But just take a period of time, and as long as it's real, as long as it's from the heart, as long as, in fact, one of the things I do is I'll, I'll put Jesus beside me in the car, in the seat. I'll turn my head and talk to him to make sure that I keep out of dead-end religion of just praying to, through the, saying the right words. When I see him there and he's sitting there and I see him with the eyes of my heart, you should pray and sing. Did you, did you pray, Lord, open the eyes of my heart today? Or did you just sing it? If you prayed it, He will. But I'm just, I can't see Jesus. I've never seen him like I'm seeing Al. But I've seen him with the eyes of my heart. I know he's sitting there. And I just talk to him like I would talk to Al. And, and ask him questions. And one of the things that I've learned about praying that has helped me is I tell him what I'm thinking and what I'm feeling as if he didn't know. I don't do that for his benefit. I do it for my benefit of getting it out and hearing it out loud and hearing what I'm feeling and putting words to it. And I can't hardly ever do that without seeing a solution in the process. There's something about saying it out loud and saying it long and explaining it as if he didn't know. If you think, well, he already knows everything, you won't pray anything. There'd be no, uh, there'd be no relationship. He wants to hear you talk to him. He doesn't want you to sit down and say, here's my shopping list. Do this, do this, do this, do this. Can you imagine if that was our relationship? We met, we had coffee yesterday morning. And I said, well, here's my shopping list. Hi, thanks for the coffee. Here's what I want you to do. There's no relationship in that. He wants something more than that. He's hungry for something more than that. Treat him as if he's a person. 
Treat him as if he's real. Treat him as if he's really there. Turn your head and say, Jesus. In fact, I'll tell you a little thing that has helped me. I don't even call it prayer because that leads to somehow in my thinking a feeling of some kind of routine. I'll say, I need to talk to Jesus. Well, you can't say that and treat it like it's a religious thing to do. I just, I need to talk to Jesus. I need to go walk. Go on a walk and just talk to Jesus and sort this out, clear out my head, sort it out in prayer. But there's something about praying out loud where you hear it, talking the whole thing out as if he didn't know and asking him to speak to it, asking him questions. You can't do that and have a boring prayer life. You can't do that and have an empty prayer life. You can't do that and be religious at the same time. It's not possible. It's not possible. But all of us, all of us have to recapture periodically the discipline of prayer. If you keep reading in Matthew chapter 6, he goes to work at talking more about prayer. And I'll leave that for you to, to study and to sort out. Spend some time with it. Amen? I'm trying to inspire me as much as I'm trying to inspire you. We have to dust off our prayer life. We have to get, find a way to build it into our lives where there's a, a discipline with this whole thing of prayer. I'm hoping that, that we can kickstart our prayer lives this month so we can go into this next year a different kind of Christianity. Is that your heart? Is that your desire? Why don't you stand together?